I already don't know what to talk about before. I guess. Okay. <laughs> we'll do a yeah. read drug checkup. We'll do a read drug checkup because what's going on here, gang? Okay. Just a little check in on our boy Spencer Reed. What's up? So, in theory, right, he's like stopped drugs. Or is in the process of stopping. Right. And this is like a different Spencer Reed. This is the rest of the series, Spencer Reed. This is yeah. like. This is this is Spencer Reed now. Now we've gotten we, we had to peel away the layers a little bit like an onion. Like yeah, this is like, Spencer Reed now. They they turned down the annoying. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, wait, hold on. They turned down what made him annoying, but also turned down any textual evidence of him being yeah. autistic. They're autism. like the rest of the series now, he's just gonna be a guy. Yeah, so now he's like, what is it like, adorkable? Yeah, now he's you know? now he's adorkable. Yes, like season one, Spencer was autistic. Like season one, For Spencer sure. on the spectrum. Season two, Spencer just like socially awkward, into niche things. Just like a little, kind of a little weird guy. Yeah, he grew tall really fast, and he's still kind of awkward in his limbs. Yeah, you know. he's like kind of a gangly dude. Yeah, this is like boy genius, like hey, cute boy genius. Um, and I don't mind it. I like this Spencer, but this is also where he begins to continuously annoy me now. Yeah, this is where I this is where I start to kind of like Spencer, and you go the other way. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's fine, but this is like when Spencer. I mean, it's fucking season two, but Spencer's already on his upward thing of, like, becoming the main character of the show for no reason. For you know? sure. For sure. For sure. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. There's also, like, a line in this episode where he's like, arsonists are like drug addicts. Fire's the drug. They can't stop without needing help. And everyone just kind of, like, looks at him in silence for, like, a and second And he just looks long. at Gideon, and you're like, oh, okay. Is that all okay. the acknowledgement we're getting? I think this is us being told that Gideon helped him stop drugs. So no more drugs. We're not going to talk about it anymore, I guess. He and JJ both are in like two scenes this episode. They're in the briefing room scene and then they're in their funny station scene. And then they they do not like (laughs) genuinely disappear off the face of the earth. I think there's one where there's the scene where they're like JJ's like I figured out about the gold sedan, but then none of the rest of the episode at all. And I guess I get it because like a lot of this episode was like field work, like driving around, following yeah. this guy. Like there wasn't a lot of just like data to go through, you know. And it was like fires; it wasn't like killing people, you know. Um, I mean, not like you know, hands-on, I guess, murder, whatever. You get it. And then with JJ, it was like, the police were, like, out with the team. And being actually, like, helpful, yeah. Yeah, so they, like, didn't need, like, the media liaison, so it's just, like, really funny that they, like, do their little part, and then they're like, peace, we're going to the hotel, see you in two days when you solve it. (laughs) Then, like... They take a little side trip to the San Fernan neighborhood and just, like, have lunch, go to drag brunch, dick around, you know? 
I also, I think maybe <laughs> in universe, mm-hmm. I feel like it's very much like a, hey, okay, we're here for like three seconds, then we take the jet home. We have other cases that need our help and, you know, whatever. But like, do they mention that? No. There's like, gone. They just vanish. <laughs> you think Frida and JJ just took an early flight home? <laughs> they went, actually, we're done. They were like, we've come as far as we can go here. We're going to go help. We're going to go. We're going to go catch up on some paperwork, if you don't mind. We're just going to. I have a ton of cases. I have a backlog I need to get through. We're just going to, if you don't mind, we're just going to go, actually. I'm also, I'm trying to think of like how long this case took. So like, then there's the night the family gets burned. They go over like in the morning. There's one night that they're there. And then the next morning, they talk to the guy. And by sunset, the second night, the warehouse is on fire. Real compact timeline. Yeah. Okay, hold on. I want to talk about this episode. So, uh-huh. DJ, drop that beat. <laughs> <laughs> Well, hey there, Benjamin. How's it going? Well, hey, Jaybird. What's up? How how are you? I'm doing pretty good, actually. You know, I was thinking. Uh huh. What if we talked about season two, episode nineteen, Ashes and Dust? And we did that on our podcast, Wheels Up. Yeah. Wow. James, I would love to talk about season two, episode nineteen, Ashes and Dust here on our podcast, Wheels Up. V, thank you for talking. (laughs) I was trying to make it more like normal. Sometimes it's so awkward. I was trying to like, and we're back from the music. Hey, hi, welcome back, listeners. Like, (laughs) you have never once in my life called me Benjamin. I know. It just came to the top of my head. I thought that was like Benjamin, (laughs) but Benjamin. I appreciate what you were going for. It was awful. Never do it again. <gasps> we are moving on. <laughs> That's rude. Okay, fine. Not, I'll, I'll it's rude. It's more of a that was a bad one. Here's oh, I'm oh. giving you a place to start. Okay. Here's your starting point. No to that one. Okay. You can work from there. Okay, okay, I will. I will. You've hit rock bottom, There's. you can only go. <laughs> oh, you would be surprised how deep a hole I can dig myself. That's true. I look forward to seeing your further exploration in this space. I've got 15 years to find you a nice nickname. <laughs> you find mine so fast. Jaybird, love it. I really, here. I'm just good at nicknames. And some people don't have that ability and that's okay. That's how we end up with things like Benjamin. Hey. So I think you can, here's the thing, James. I what? know you can do better. Thanks. I have so what? much faith in you. I just thought of something super adorable. Mm-hmm. What if, uh-huh. in the same vein as husband and business boy, we were like Jaybird and Honeybee? You know? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I'm into that. Hi I'm into honey it. Honeybee. Hi, Honeybee. <laughs> that, that does sound a little bit... Good evening, Honeybee. 
That does sound a little bit flirty, like a little bit like 1960s businessman coming home to his wife. No, Jaybird's just a little bird. You're just a little guy to me. You're a little guy who lives in my computer to me. You're the Thorpe from my podcast. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my God. Hmm. I just had the realization that other people do listen to this. So there is a non-zero possibility that we have been blorbified. Somebody somewhere has described us as a blorbo. You and I have, we have talked about this parasocial relationship. You'll find this funny. And and I know she listens to every episode. So Celine messaged me today (laughs) and said that she likes something we said in our episode. And I mentioned like, oh yeah, I accidentally left a sneeze in to that one episode. And she said, don't worry, it's helping to build that parasocial relationship. (laughs) And I was like, I'm so glad we're all aware this is happening. Just like that person on Twitter who who blessed us. Yeah. This is exactly what we need. I think this is exactly what we need. Do you think talking about the parasocial relationship makes it stronger or weaker? Like if we're all like, haha, we're all having this parasocial relationship together. <laughs> is that too meta for the for the Blorboverse? <laughs> no, and here's why. I think here's the thing. Yeah. People who watch Criminal Minds, mm-hmm. I think, okay, there's like a Venn diagram mm-hmm, okay, of okay. like people who are like functional adults. Mm-hmm. And then there's like a Venn diagram, there's like another, the other circle is like people who watch Criminal Minds. Okay. And I think we really hit that sweet spot of the Venn diagram. So I think <laughs> us kind of joking and talking about like a haha parasocial relationship, I think that makes it stronger because everybody all of our listeners are smart enough to be like oh haha parasocial relationship you know what i mean yeah that's we hit true. that we hit that we hit that convex of the uh of the venn diagram that's so funny <laughs> also can we talk about this episode <laughs> yeah okay i was gonna keep going whatever i'll tell you later. okay <laughs> the episode starts okay this is an episode that like is heavy it is pretty heavy and then that scene with JJ and Reed and the detective at the station is like a comedy sketch in the middle of this episode. And then it goes back to serious again. It's so weird. We'll talk about it, but like, this is a sad one. This is a hard one. And then there's just like a little comedy sketch in the middle. Okay. It opens up with like an Enya song. Oh my like, gosh. It's kind so of sad. insane, actually. It opens up so sad. Also, this has got to be the shortest um pre credit scene ever it's just this tiny little crime and then the starts playing you know it is a pretty short pre credit scene yeah normally no, we get right, actually. normally we get a crime and then we get a bau scene or a bau scene and then we get a crime but this was just like one little scene and then it was like it was like no no you know what you're getting into <laughs> okay great this episode is like way better than I remember it being. Me too. I love I, let's just let's just start because I love so much about this episode. Yeah, I always tend to write it off as like, oh, one of those like episodes that I don't really care about. It's an arsonist I've, episode. We only have yeah. fifteen of them across the whole series or something. We have this is our one a season arsonist episode. Right. But then when I watched it, I'm like, this is a good one. Okay. It starts at night. We're in South San Francisco. I don't know why they had to 
like mention that it's South San Francisco. Maybe that like means something to people who know about San Francisco. But to me, I'm just like, okay. Next, the mom and dad are sleeping in the bed. And we see somebody, I guess, presumably downstairs, um, pouring liquid on tables. And then they set the house on fire. And all the family pictures go up and start cracking. And there's like sad music. Yeah, I wrote vocalizing, but you're so right. It's definitely Enya. Oh, it's it's one hundred. The song that it is is, um, it is, Bodicea by Enya. Okay. I want to say she was like a, like a queen, who was famous for like, burning down cities or something. A warrior queen, Bodicea. She she was a queen of an English tribe that led a rebellion against Roman occupation. Yeah. Fuck the Romans. Yeah, yeah, fuck the Romans. And then later, fuck, fuck the, the English. And I'll, and I'll say that on record. Fuck the Romans. <laughs> I've always said that. As we know, I've always said that. Clearly, as we've always said. <laughs> of course. Right. Um, it's actually, like, really sad. I do have, like, a... It's not, like, a fear, but I, like, worry about things getting set on fire, and then you lose, like, everything important to you. So, like, to have him, like, setting this fire, and you see, like, the bookcases go up in flame, like the tables with the family pictures. I was like, oh God. Uh, the boy runs in and wakes his parents up. And he's like, let's go, let's go. And the dad reaches for the phone, like to call 911. And the boy goes, the phones are dead. So. The boy has already tried this. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of like, I would definitely like call 911 on my way to my parents' room. So I get it. Yeah. All the windows are blocked because all the curtains are on fire. And then they blocked the way to the back door. So they're all smart. They're staying low, crawling on the floor. If you don't know this, smoke rises. So if you're in a place that is on fire, get low, because that's where the oxygen will stay the longest. So they're crawling to stay in the oxygen. But there's so much fire. And everything is closed, which is like, on the one hand, it's good to keep things closed. Don't break windows if there's a fire. Because all you're doing is letting more oxygen in. You want to like suffocate it. You know, get out. But then like, shut the door. Don't open a bunch of windows. Okay, anyway. They get to the door. The sun like collapses, doesn't make it to the door. The dad unlocks it. And he's like trying to open it. And he's like, it won't open. And the wife, wife tries. And she's banging on the door. Yelling, help me. And then she's like laying on the floor. And you can't tell if she's dead or not. But she sees like a fireman guy, like a guy in a suit. And then he takes out these wedges that were like holding the door shut. And then just like looks at her and then leaves. And then you see him like running across the yard um, into his car, drives away. And then it cuts to like the burning picture of the family again. And then the theme song. It's just this opening scene just hits, dude. (sighs) It really does. Fire, like... The scene just hits. Like, imagine losing everything you own. Everything that's important to you. And, like, I know we shouldn't be so, like, attached to ourselves, but, like, I'd be really sad if I lost all my books, pictures, the things that make me happy, and then the stuff that's going to be expensive, like a computer. Like, that's your whole life. Yeah. Presumably important documents that you would need to also, you know, rebuild. Oh, forget it. Okay, we're at Quantico, the team's at the table. Okay, the same thing has been on the whiteboard now for, in canon, months. 
months, it's been the same way. They have not changed this whiteboard in so long. <sighs> it bothers me. Does like, it? Because that's very, when I think of a whiteboard at work, the one in my work conference room that we have our Monday morning meeting in has said the same thing quite literally since I started. But that whiteboard has the date and time of like a seminar they have to go to. So presumably it should be updating for the seminars they have to go to. At this point, it's like, yeah, you had one seminar seven months ago. Don't forget <laughs> it. Like, <laughs> come on. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> okay. Okay, sad time. <clears throat> there were two fires, two families in the last three weeks. The first family, the Jarvises, all died. The second family are the Cutlers. That's the one that we saw burned. The son and husband are dead, and the mom is in critical care with burns to 60% of her body. Ugh. Emily 60%. gives us 60% of your body. Ugh. And when we see her, it's like, you know she's squishy. Also, we'll get to it when we get to it, but I thought it was weird that her hair was completely untouched. <laughs> you're, no, you're right. It would be gone. Like it gone. would be, that's the first thing to burn. Like, yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah, sorry. Had, I just thought that was kind of weird. <laughs> I'm pretty sure she even had, like, an eyebrow on her, like, eye untouched side. She, like, yeah. should have, like, that's odd. You're right. <laughs> okay. I saw Emily, odd. Emily gives us the rundown of what's up. So, no fuses. He uses kerosene. He, there are multiple points of origin of the fire. He lights it in different spots. And the family is killed while sleeping. Reed gives us some statistics that arsonists are male and white and never get caught. And he's like, few if any get caught. And Emily's like, you don't have an exact percent about that? And he goes, well, 16%. I'm trying to be more conversational. And Emily just goes, oh, it's not working. And Derek laughs. And I was like, get his ass <laughs> Emily Prentice, love of my fucking life. I know. God, I missed her being cute and sassy while she was dealing with the whole Reed is yelling at her for no reason thing. I, I missed like her. She has like leaned into the like, oh, so we do this now? We do this now. <laughs> yeah, you're not conversational, Reed. Sorry. <laughs> love it. And then Derek like laughs about her joke. Okay. Uh, we find out that normally arsonists don't target people. They don't try to hurt anyone. But this one does. This one, it's about power and like sexual release. Oh my God. Garcia tries to lighten the mood by being like, what? So if he doesn't get laid, he sets fires. And Gideon looks her dead in the eyes and goes, if, she doesn't get, if he doesn't get laid, he kills whole families. And Garcia just like nods like, yeah, okay, that's my bad. I guess I shouldn't. Mobby, I, I, I misread the room, guys. Sorry. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, Gideon, why are you being such a douchebag? Clearly, she's trying to like lighten the mood. And he's like, or they kill whole families. And then Emily just goes, no statistics, Reed. And he's just like, no. <laughs> Gideon says there's no statistics for this guy because he's unique. He's an, He's not an arsonist. He's a serial killer using fire as a weapon. As opposed to just like an arsonist who wants to watch it burn. The season one arsonist episode was 
compulsion, right? Yes. Yes. She also was using fire as like a weapon, not like a typical arsonist. arsonist. Although I guess yes. I guess they wouldn't be called in on a regular arsonist because like nobody would be dying. So exactly. they wouldn't be on it. That makes sense. I feel like every time they talk about arsonists, they're always like, they're not just regular arsonists. They're, they're cool serial killers who use... <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're serial killers who use fire as a weapon. And they say that, quite literally, every time they run into an arsonist. Yeah. Because they did it season one. They did it They did it this time. In season one, they say that the reasons for arson are money, power, and sex. Here, they don't mention money. But they mention the sex and the power. And they're just like, yeah, it's both. Cool. And so Hotch says the guy must have been experiencing like a breakup or a recent loss, something to trigger him to start these fires. And JJ says, well, there's no connection between the victims, but a late model gold sedan was recorded at both scenes. So Penelope is going to go look up late model gold sedans. JJ is going to go help her with that. Hotch is going to go see Charlotte Cutler. And Gideon is like, no, no, you took the burn ward last time. I'll do it. And Hotch is like, no, it's fine. I think there's an interesting thing here where Hotch looks specifically the Hotch looks at the picture of uh, Charlotte Cutler holding mm-hmm. a baby, holding her baby yeah. and like him as a young child. And that like really affects Hotch. And I got to yeah. say, I think it's kind of fucking brilliant. I think because Hotch is the only like actual parent, active parent on the team, he's the one who is given those episodes and later it will be JJ and Hotch who kind of get those episodes. But right now it's like just Hotch. And I really, as a Hotch episode, I really do like this actually. I think he has some of the best lines this episode Uh, for sure. It's also really great to watch him like, slowly fall apart over the course of the episode yeah like it's really subtle and you don't really understand how much it's affecting him until the end when he's like crying talking to Gideon oh Hotch my boy Hotch I was just I just had a thought I'm trying to no I'm trying to get back shut up I'm trying to get back (laughs) to it um no it's gone no wheels up no plane scene. It just cuts right to us being in San Francisco. Also, that's a long flight. Isn't that like five or six hours from D.C. to San Fran? Yeah, it's four from D.C. to Las Vegas. So I would guess like five hours. Another hour or so, yeah. Yeah. Man, that's a long flight. I know, and they made no mention of the time. And we'll talk about it when we get to the end, but Hotch, at the end of the episode, Hotch flies back to D.C. and then flies back to San Francisco to meet the guy's son. Yeah. Like, that's a lot of flying. I don't know. They, like, don't make any mention of the travel in this. I don't know. Okay. Oh, this is what I was going to bring up. What's... Why is he setting fires? They say the trigger is his breakup. He's a pharmaceutical sales rep, so not involved in real estate or chemicals or anything. Not, like, you know underground chemicals he had a breakup so now he's targeting people on the list they just don't make it like why is he an arsonist 
I think, well, I think it comes to what Emily says in the middle of the episode where she's like, what if I had joined the EDF as thinking it was an arsonist club? I was already predisposed to that. I already thought it was an arsonist club. And I just sort of am doing this to disguise what I really want to do, which is murder a bunch of people. I guess so. I don't know. It's just because like his whole thing is like watching the victims die. So it's like, I'm surprised he isn't just like out here strangling people with his bare hands. It just seems like a lot of, it's just, I don't understand why fire for him. Like, it makes sense for Evan later. Like, I get why he's upset about the chemical leaking. But this guy, I guess he just, like, picked a random cause and was like, okay, I want to kill people. Here's a disguise to do it. And they set fires, so I'll set fires. It's a little, yeah, it is a little, uh, it's a little thin. But I think you can work it if you go off of what Emily had sort of said. It's like, yeah. what if I just thought the EDF was all about setting fires? I also think we've had a couple of very strong, specific killers recently. Like the Cinco who needs the voice because he's angry and doesn't feel good. And then last episode, she um, kills men in the same way that she was kind of like raped. So I feel like they were like, you know what? We're going to be light on the killer this episode and focus more on Hotch's emotions, etc. Yeah, I mean, also, I this season, again, has been really strong. If this is a middling season two episode, like, oh, yeah. that's still pretty good. And I think this no, is a pretty yeah. good season two ep. You know what I mean? Like, the killer being a little lax, I can forgive because it's like, this is coming off of the run of fucking in the oh. last 10 episodes we've had mm-hmm. like profiler profile no way out we've had jones we've had revelation like we've had bangers all the way yeah. down i'm okay with like a little temporary drop in killer quality <laughs> oh yeah and and i didn't even think about this while i was watching the episode it was only afterward when i was like wait what was his motivations so watching it, I was like, like fire. I was yeah, watching it, I was like, okay, <laughs> he's not so cool. Sure, why not? Okay, all right. all right. Hotch and Emily go to visit Charlotte Cutler. They're in the hospital, and the doctor basically tells them she's on painkillers as much as I can give her. She's been asking about her husband and her son who are dead, and she doesn't know they're dead. And you can tell her whatever you want to tell her, because she won't live long enough to know different. And Emily's like, did she tell us to lie to a material witness? And Hatch is like, no, she told us we can. And it was just like, oh, God. Hotch okay. this scene. I know. Hotchner. Aaron. Aaron. Uh, Aaron, my boy. Aaron. Yeah, and also Emily. Okay, let's go through Emily and Hotch, and then we'll go to the other people. But. Yeah, because they kind of, they cut this scene, they cut this scene with the Gideon scene, right? Yeah, so they yeah. cut this with a, with a Morgan and Gideon scene. This scene, though, this, just the Aaron, the, the Hotch and the, Emily side of it. Oh. The way Hotch is so focused on Charlotte, just 100%, giving her 100% of his attention, making her feel comfortable, making her feel safe, letting her know her family is safe. 
Oh, it's so sad. And then Emily is like almost to tears, you know? Like she manages mm-hmm. to ask some questions, but she's just like, like I'm looking at somebody who will be dead in five minutes, you know? Yeah. And that's tough. It's not fun. Okay. The way, the way Hodge is like, yeah, your family's just outside in the waiting room. Ugh. And Emily, like, looks so startled by him saying that. And then yeah. when she's like, when Charlotte is like, oh, I don't think I'm ready. I don't think I'm ready. Can you tell them I'll I'll be out in a bit? Uh, Hodge sends Emily out of the room. Yeah. And then he says, I'll wait with you till you're ready. Oh. Yeah. Aaron Hodgner. I know. And he goes, don't, he goes, I'll have Emily go tell them to wait. And then Emily is like, her eyes like widened, like, I can't tell them to wait. They're dead. And he's like, call Gideon. And she's like, okay. And then she just like gets out of there. And it's so sad. Um, God, just, ugh. just Hodges, I'll wait with you till you're ready. <laughs> and I think the music does a really good job with blending in with the heart monitor beep so yeah. it's like you can hear it but then when you don't hear it it's like is it because she died or is it just because the music is the way that it is oh it's really sad god this scene i know it's so good the important thing to take from this scene is that besides the, the fact water... that aaron hotchner is a sweet baby boy yes the most is... important thing is that Aaron Hotchner is sweet. And then everything yeah. else is after that. So number one takeaway, Aaron Hotchner is a sweet baby boy. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. Second is that the water wasn't working, so the husband had to go fix it. The sun woke her up, not the smoke alarms. And that when they unlocked the front door, it wouldn't open. And that she saw a fireman and she knew she was safe. And it was like the man who killed her. Oh God. Fuck me, dude. God. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So Gideon and Derek. They go to the Cutler's house, the crime scene. And the guy, the detective, I forgot he says his name is. Silva, something like that. Um, um he is in here as uh Lieutenant Ricardo Vega. Vega. Thank you. Detective Vega, that guy looked so familiar. Detective Vega gives the profile, basically. He's like, white male, this, that, because he's read Gideon's paper, I guess, on arsonists. And then the guy's like, here's all the information about my team and my medical records and my work history and my psychological evaluations. And he's like, I was the first on both scenes. And like, that's a thing. Here's my papers. I love this dude. I I love this guy. I know. I love We've talked about this before, how it's so great when they, like, give these detectives or these, like, whoever they're helping, when they give them such a good personality, and they only have, like, five minutes to do it. So they walk up to the crime scene. This guy is like, here's the profile. I've read your book. I know that the first on scene, the first first people on scene or people who have responded to both crimes are the ones who are going to be in the crosshairs. Here's all of that information. He fucking hands Derek this like long ass, like this big ass packet. And 
Then he's like, yeah, the only one who did both was me. Here's all of my records. (laughs) You can tell both Derek and Gideon are like, fuck, I love this dude. Like, they are both like, thank fuck. We have some hyper-competent guy here instead of some fucking chuckle-fuck asshole, you know? Like, I love this dude. One thing I will say is this case, this episode goes really smoothly. Like, there's no major hitches. They're like, unschmuck Evan leads them to the real unsub, so there's not even any real, like, backtracking, you know? Like, yes, he did manage to kill the family in the car, but I don't think there was anything they could have really done about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, It happened, like, the day they got there and that happened, you know? Um, they were barely on the case yet. Like, they interview Evan at the scene of the car fire. So, like, they had just shown up, basically, when that happened. But they really just, like, everything goes right for them this episode. It's, like, really emotional and it's really, like, poignant. But, like, the case itself is not necessarily, like, a difficult case, you know? Yeah. Well, I like it because then it's, like, this case is... This episode is good not because, like, the case is really twisty like sometimes they are. This episode's really good because it has good character moments. Yeah. It's fun to watch. Like, I like a simpler case that's really filled out instead of, like, a really complicated one that has to be, like, rushed through to get everything in, you know? Yeah. There were some season one cases that were just, like, oh god, there's so much happening so fast and yet, like, nothing happened. You know, and it's just because there was so much information to get to us, whereas this time they gave themselves, like, room to breathe and for the characters to be characters. Okay. So, they get the call from Emily. Derek goes to check on the water main. I don't know how houses work. But why... Is it that easy to turn off the house's water? And why is it on the street and not attached to the house? Like, they say water main. Is that, like, water was off for, like, the whole fucking neighborhood? Or, like, do they have their own water main? And why is it on the sidewalk? I don't know, dude. I grew up in the country. I grew up with fucking, like, septic tanks and shit. Like, I don't... Yeah, we had a septic tank. Like, I don't know how cities work. Yeah, I don't know. Both of my parents had septic tanks. Yeah, I grew up in the fucking country, so, like... Yeah, I don't understand, like... I don't know. Maybe that's, like, where they can... That house connects to the water main, so it's, like, their specific... So it would be... Pipe got turned off. Yes, that that is how it would work, right? Like, with a water main... Like, there are larger pipes, obviously, carrying water, like, under streets and, like, through storm drains and shit like that. But houses do have to connect to that, like, individually. And there are sort of, like, feeder lines. However, it's my understanding that, like, normally you don't get access to that because that's, like, city stuff, you know? Like, if your water main breaks, I don't think you can fix it. I think the city has to fix it, question mark, maybe. If my wife says, hey, the sink water isn't working, the first thing I would do is try another sink 
and then I would go under that under the sink you know like I feel like there are and then I'd go to the back of the house look at all the knobs and then if it doesn't work I call someone you know like yeah I don't know I don't, this dude is like, sink doesn't work? All right, let's go to the big water main in front of our house. Like, Also, he does, does he not Does this question, happen often? Is he never like, who turned the handle of my water main? <laughs> yeah. I just have some, it, I just have some questions. <laughs> who turned off my water? I just have a few questions. Also, yeah. I'm not going to lie. There have been a couple times where, like, the AC goes out or this happens or that happens. And it's nighttime. And I say, sorry, babe. That's a morning me problem. That's a tomorrow me problem. I'm like, is the fridge running? Great. We can handle the water in the morning. <laughs> also, like, use a fucking glass of water from your fucking Brita filter to brush your teeth. Like, it's not like, you don't need yes. a lot of water to brush your teeth. No, you do not. Like, <laughs> the sink still is draining, so put water in your mouth, brush your teeth, spit it, rinse it, spit it. Done. Like, Don't make your husband go outside to the water main in the middle of the night. I don't know. But then it's kind of a double-edged sword, right? If he, they had left it until the morning... There still would have been no water, but the killer would have had to get in a different way, you know. Yeah. So like, I don't, I don't. Neither of us know enough about how the delicate dance of water infrastructure in in America works, so we can't be like this is inaccurate. But the water didn't have anything to do with it. Houses don't usually have sprinkler systems. It was just a trick to get him outside to sneak in. Right. I need the door to be open. Just like wait till they're asleep and pick the lock. Like why does the like why does someone have to go outside for you to sneak into the house? Or is it like a the house burns faster and hotter if there's no water in the pipes? But there is water because he turns it back on before they even go to sleep. Yeah. The water's off know. for like five seconds. Derek Volk when he when Derek role plays as the unsub, we love to see it. <laughs> we love He's to see like, it. I turn off the water and then I wait in the bushes. And then when the guy comes out to turn the water on, I sneak into the house before he sees me so that when he comes back inside, I'm already in the house. And that just seems like a lot of work. Just pick the lock. At that point, break a window like chill out who's gonna be able to like if you pick the lock who's gonna know you set the house on fire it's on fire <laughs> like who's like what fingerprints are gonna be left on a doorknob the house is on fire yeah. like <laughs> the house is on fire you burn this house that's the end goal here yeah i don't know it's, it's just like such a like what if what if the guy was just like Oh, honey, I'm, I had a long day at work. I'm really tired. I'll turn it on in the morning. Here's a glass of water. For the guy who just like hung out in the bushes being like, when's this dude going to come turn the water back on? It just seems like a very, there's a lot of variables. <laughs> just sitting plan. in the bushes. It's what I'm saying. Just like, do, 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 do. okay. Chilling. Derek Roll plays. We figure out how the guy's inside. Detective Vega points out that something was jammed in the door, like an expanding tool. 
so they couldn't open the door. It was jammed. And then he took it with him. So they were like, oh, he was inside the house when it burned. He must have been waiting full gear. And then Gideon's like, oh, it's not the fire. He didn't, like, she didn't see a fireman. She saw an unsub in a suit. He watched them burn. And then, like, as Gideon, like, shuts the door, you can hear her screaming for help, like, played over it. And I was just like, it's really good. It was good. This is a good, like, as far as effects go, there's a couple of cheesy effects. But for the most part, as far as effects go, like, sound design specifically, this is a good episode for sound design. Good up for the sound engineers. Yeah, good for them. Okay, we're at the station. Reed comes in with two cups of coffee and a bagel and a first aid kit. And she's he's like, ready to go. He's ready. I love that he brought JJ a cup of coffee, but not a bagel. <laughs> get your own bagel, bitch. Like, I'll get you the coffee. The food is your own deal. <laughs> exactly. But I do really like that um, he comes in and he's like, JJ, they have their own espresso machine. And they're like, what's the first aid kit for? And he goes, I burnt my finger on the espresso machine. <laughs> it's just like, okay. Like, that's funny. It was just like, that's funny. That feels real. This is like, again, one of those moments that just feels really like, they didn't have to have him burn his finger. It doesn't, like, advance the plot in any way, but it feels like he was so excited by the espresso machine. <laughs> he burned himself on. So then he like spills the first aid kit everywhere. And Detective Castor is like, sorry, you said he was a genius. And JJ's like, yeah, um, his coordination goes down when he's thinking. <laughs> Which is hilarious. Sure. You know sure. what? It's sure. definitely like 100% an excuse. And the woman, Detective Castor, is like, well, then I hope he's thinking hard. And Reed's like, yeah, okay, he's targeting all these guys because they're the most similar member of the family. The families ever have, like, don't have anything in common, but all the men are white, successful, about six feet tall, in their late 30s. And JJ makes a hand gesture like, see? See what I mean? And then they're sitting there at the table. <laughs> JJ's sitting on the table. She goes from sitting on one end of the table to sitting on the other end of the table with her coffee. And Reed is just, like, rambling. I know. Rita's just rambling and rambling, and Detective Castro and JJ just keep like ex- exchanging like looks that are just like uh-huh. JJ is so done with him. And this every time they show JJ on the scene, she is like widening her eyes or like shrugging, like I don't know, man. I love it. The woman says, you know, one of the husbands, Detective Castro says, one of the men is a lawyer, one is an executive, and he's like, it doesn't matter. They're the same type of guy, which means the unsub is in his mid-30s, and they sees them as a successful version of himself. He's jealous. That's why he's targeting them. And so she goes, the de- detective caster goes, I'll issue an APB for a resentful six-foot white guy. And looks at JJ, <laughs> and JJ makes, like, the okay symbol and, like, makes his face, like, good job. She's like, mm-hmm. good job, Reed. Like, <laughs> nailed it. And then he's like, ow, my fingy. (laughs) They are so funny. Like, this comes, we've had this terribly sad burn scene. 
They go to the house and you see it burned down. It's super sad. The guy just wanted to watch them die. You hear her screaming and then reads like, JJ, they have an espresso machine. <laughs> it's like, I burned okay. my finger, JJ. Get it? We're on an arson case. It's funny, JJ. I burned my finger. <laughs> and then she's just like done with it. She, she, JJ's like, you are embarrassing me in front of this super cool detective. You need to stop it, Reed. So funny. And then it goes right back. The next scene is Hutch coming back and being like, Charlotte Cutler is dead. It's like, oh, okay. Cool. Casual. This episode is emotional with Flash. It is. So Hotch comes back and is like, she died. And Gideon just says, sorry, I'll go next time. JJ says, we figured out what the gold sedan was. It was a 1990 gold Ford Taurus. 89% of them of gold Ford Tauruses from 1999 are rental vehicles and fleet vehicles. So JJ says, what if it's a company car? Because the guy is stalking them, driving around like who rents a car for two weeks, you know? And Hotch is just yeah. like, good work, JJ. And Gideon's like, we're ready for the profile. I will say, the gold sedan, we do see it again. It's outside of the EDF meeting, and that's how they kind of like connect it. But the information that it's a... He loves his job, I think. Right? Or no, he got, no, I don't he got he divorced. Did. He got divorced. Right, but he still has his job. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. I was like, they don't find him via the car. They just like are like, here's a detail, which is interesting. The profile. The man is in his late uh, 30s. He's highly intelligent, but underachieving. He's narcissistic. Nothing good in his life lasts. He wants admiration, has no respect for others' feelings or safety. He acts like a petulant adolescent, definitely lives with a female relative he exploits. His arson kit is expensive, so he's employed, but he works in a job where he doesn't work closely with others, probably a traveling salesman for a big company who doesn't notice that he's the serial killer. Yeah. Yeah. And then this is where Reed is like, he's like a drug addict. The fire is his drug. He can't quit it without help, etc. So we go to Penelope. This website Okay, this website, it's just like Lust Leaking Underground Storage Unit. Storage tank. And there's a list of companies, and the more they pollute, the more skulls they have next to their names. Which is... Which is very funny. It's very funny. Uh, I also, I looked them up, none of them are real, but one of the names is literally called Smog Front. Which (laughs) did make me laugh. They're just like, yeah, we're, we just make smog. That's what we're here for. That's our job. That's yeah, our that, thing. That was funny. Okay. Both of, the, both of the men who were killed run companies that are on the list. And the list is by an organization called the Earth Defense Front, which Emily calls eco-terrorists and Reed calls environmental activists, which is interesting. Oh, they don't say eco-terrorist. They say Echo terrorist. Echo. It's ecology. So it'd be eco terrorism. I have never heard, I've never heard echo terrorism. And they both say that. 
I don't know. I don't know. So they mentioned that this is a new San Francisco chapter. According to a page that Garcia pulls up later, it was created nine months ago. So, you know, the Detective Vega is like, well, you know, there was a dealership fire in San Diego a while ago, but no one died. And Gideon's like, exactly. They they wait for a place to be empty for killing it because they don't want to kill people. They're, you know, whether you see them as terrorists or activists, they're about the environment, saving the environment, saving people for the most part. Oh, I wrote business dad. I don't think we ever learned the the car guy's name. I think he's actually done for, but whatever. The guy is taking his kids to like a soccer game or something. They get inside and the dad's like, put your seatbelts on. And they do, mm-hmm. but then like the garage door doesn't open. Um, I'm going to go through this scene and then I'll go back. The garage door isn't opening. And then they turn around to see a man pouring gas on the car. Their doors won't open. The seatbelts won't come off. They're all screaming. The kids are like, I'm scared. I'm scared. And it cuts to the guy sitting in his own car again. And you see smoke coming out of the garage. And then the garage explodes. Just full on explodes. Just like fully explodes. Yeah. And what's up with that? I Well, I mean, cars explode when they're on fire. That's why you have to get out of a car if it's on fire. And it was in a garage. This just seemed like too big of an explosion. But like, I guess it does kind of make sense if it was already on fire. Have you ever seen like a car on fire on the highway? No. No, it's a big fire. I mean, it's a tank of gas. Yeah, that's fair. And he put more gas onto it. Yeah. Yeah. And he put kerosene on the gas. No, cars, if you see a car smoking or if there's any flames, you get out ASAP because your car is literally a bomb. It's a gas tank. And there's oil in it too. So... Yeah, so cars explode like that. I've seen them. They're, I mean, 100 feet high, not even exaggerating. And they were in a contained garage. So it makes sense that when it exploded, it could only go through the door, you know? Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, so it's a big explosion. It's like, oh, shit. So back to our team. The Detective Vega is like, where are your lists of terrorist organizations? Like, how are they not on them? Reed says it's more of a movement and less of an organization. <laughs> I was just like, why are you defending them so hard, Reed? What is this? I don't know why Reed, yeah, they're really like on the EDF side this episode. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Gideon's like, exactly. These are all like independent chapters. They don't pay dues and there's no lists of members. So there's no real way to track them. And Hotch goes, well, do you know how many members there are? So she, like, goes in to, I guess, the website address, like, the host. And we see that she looks at the average daily hits. Is a, a Average daily hits are 157. Meaning that, and then she says there are about 100 to 150 members. The assumption being that everyone looks at the website at least once a day. She also, though, she also looks at something else clever on that page. Is she looks at like average cookie delivery for the website? The cookie return rate, yeah, yeah, which is a good way of judging, like, yeah, 
if it's a new user or if it's somebody just like coming back on the same session, it's like yeah. it actually does make sense. Yeah, <laughs> the hits doesn't make sense, but the cookie return rate, you're right, which is 113, by the way. Yeah, this page actually gives us a lot of information. It tells us that it the runtime of the website is nine months and four days. And it was last updated Wednesday, February 21st, 2007. So that's around when this episode takes place, I would guess. End of February. We're at the car scene with our team. Penelope sends them basically a file of information on the leader, whose name is Evan Abbey. And Hutch says, you know, yeah, we're going to interview him right at the crime scene because the way he reacts to, like, the fake dead bodies and the pictures will tell us Everything we need to know about him, basically, if he's guilty or not. And Detective Vega says, remind me never to play poker with these guys. <laughs> he's so funny. I know. I really love is. this dude. Yeah. And then there's another really funny moment where Hotch is like reading the folder on his phone and Gideon is like, Hotch. And Hotch doesn't answer because he's really focused. And then Gideon's like, Hotch. And Hotch is like, huh, what? Oh, yeah. And then starts telling us information about Evan. <laughs> And I was like, they really took an extra beat to let us know Hotch is like a slow phone reader. He's fucked up. Yeah, for real. This is what I mean. Like, Kamuna Vines just starts putting in these little like extra beats that just tell us something about the character. And it, it makes them feel really human. You know, a lot of shows are very like polished and like no second on screen that isn't absolutely necessary. And Criminal Minds like leaves a little bit of extra room. Evan is 41. He's divorced. His son's name is Liam, who's 14. He's an environmental engineer who consults on real estate development, and he's worked with every company on the list. So that's suspicious. That's weird. That's suspicious. That's weird. Emily brings him over. She looks great. She's in her gray suit again. We love to see it. And she's got her big hangover sunglasses on that I'm obsessed with. He's like, hey, you said you had a lust-related like fire. What's going on? He sees the dead bodies, and he's clearly like, oh, God. And they start asking him about his son and about, like, the guy in the car. And he's like, sorry, is there a leak here, or are you investigating me? And they're like, your website, he was on your website. And the guy's like, what? The website? What are you talking about? And he, like, can't look at the burn pictures and Gideon's like, you know, I really support your cause, the EDF's cause, but not these methods. And Hotch is like, it's your website and you're the leader. And the guy's just like, what are you talking about? And Gideon asks, like, you know, has the EDF's anti-violence strategy changed? And the guy's like, no, it hasn't. And then he just leaves. And they're like, it's not him. He couldn't look at the pictures. An arsonist would be like glued to the photos, like obsessed with seeing their work. But he is hiding something. And they got to figure it out. So, oh, this is where Emily brings up the whole thing of, like, what if he also had the misconception of the EDF as a violent group? So he joined hoping that they would be out starting fires, and he's using it as a cover. So, good job, Emily. Gideon's going to talk to the ex-wife, and Hodge and Emily are going to go follow Evan. So we cut to the station. Derek's hanging out with the son, Liam. He's just hanging. They're just hanging back there. It's really cute. Gideon's talking to the ex-wife. Basically, she and 
Evan met in college and then she got pregnant, they got married. And Evan thought that these companies were hiring him to do the right thing and like report leakage and fix it, but really they just want to pass inspection. And so he had this like tiny budget and they like didn't even care what he did with it. And they, she said that he basically started drinking because like the guilt of like passing these inspections when it wasn't actually safe. But he, we learned later that they were like commercial warehouses nobody actually like worked in and that's how he like coped with it. But now one of them is being turned into an elementary school. And that's why he started the EDF because he was like, absolutely not. One thing I do wish this episode did is tell us what the EDF actually does. Besides not start fires. <laughs> right. All we know is that they don't start fires. But we don't actually know anything about like what they've done. Like nine months ago, this guy learned about the rezoning. He can't report it, but like what do they what do they do then? Are they lobbyists? Like do they re- do they do like newsletters and protests? Like it just doesn't tell us like what they yeah, they just meet in this dude's house and then not set fires. <laughs> exactly, yes. They do not set fires. So the wife says, like, it got to a point where I thought Evan was going to hurt himself because he was so guilty and, and so drunk all the time. And now Evan has no relationship with Liam. Apparently Evan didn't even want to pay child support, which sounds bad, but I realize now, like, he already knew he was going to die. So he's like, I don't need to pay child support when I die. He'll just get all my money, I think is the, was yeah. the ultimate thought process. Yeah. And that also tracks with me with why he does $2,000 every week. Every week. Which that's... seems a lot for child support. Yeah. I mean, that's $8,000 a month. That can't be right. Because that can't she... be. Because if she, well, here's the thing, right? The only reason you would pay child support is if she never, she didn't work. Like if he was supporting the family and then they split up and she, you know, cannot support herself on her own right away, you pay child support. And it usually lasts for like a certain amount of time or whatever. But sometimes it's just like in the conditions of divorce, but that's kind of the usual thing. Uh, so maybe if she, but she didn't seem like the type to just like not get her. I think she said she was like a nurse or something. She has a yeah. Job. So that's a lot of money is what I'm saying for child support in their case. I mean, she has a house. So like she's making some money. Okay. That's 60000 a year in child support. That has to be not in the contract. That's more than I make in a year. Yeah. It's more than a lot of people make in a year. More than most people I'd say make in a year. Okay. <laughs> So, okay, can we talk about how Emily and Hotch are in a car together from that interview in the morning to nighttime? They are just the two of them in the car. They're just hanging out. I was like, that has to be the most awkward. Awkward car known to man. It's just like, do, 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 do. I feel like they would passively aggressively fight over the AC Emily, like, will make it cold, and then Hosh will make it warm, and then Emily will make it cold. <laughs> That's, like, all they do the whole day. Like, what? Like, what? 
That's so the funny. radio is playing a station that neither of them like. Like it's very right. like it's yes. so it's gotta be so awkward in that car. It's so funny. Um, I mean that's god, like eight hours, right? Just the two of them. Just the two Just like of us. hanging and going like <laughs> Yeah. So yeah. now they're following him from place to place. They're in the car that of a bank, and Hodge is like on the phone with Haley, and he's like, I'll make it up to you. I promise. Okay, bye. I'll see you later. Love you. And Emily's like, is everything okay? And he just goes, yeah. <laughs> and she's like, hard cut. Yes. She's like, like, cool. I mean, he didn't yell at her for asking a personal private question. So that's, it's daring of her to even ask. And he was like sharp, but he didn't like yell at her, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's something. No bullshit. So then they're like, okay, Evan is acting guilty. In the time that we've been following him, she says like four hours. He's packed things into cardboard boxes. He went to the attorney. He went to four banks. What do we do? And Hodge is like, we just keep fucking following him, I guess. So then they are, now it's nighttime. They're parked outside his house. There's some silent, dark meeting. And Hodge is like, get your camera, take pictures. And she's like, where should I set up? And he's like, right here. We're going to intimidate him. Like, FBI agents in the car taking pictures of your house. Like, And Hotch goes, smile, everybody. You're on camera. Which is... He's so funny. He's so funny. He's just <laughs> a funny little guy. He's just like a funny little business boy. Okay. They get pictures of everyone. And then there's they take three pictures of the unsub. It's like picture of a guy, picture of a guy, and then picture, picture, picture. Picture of a guy, picture of a guy. I was like, okay, they made sure to like hone in on this dude. And then he comes out of his house and Emily just goes, oh, wow, looks like the intimidation worked. <laughs> so they come out of the, he comes out the house, they get out of the car. He's like, I disbanded the group. I denounced the fire, nothing to do with this. And then Emily says, well, if the EDF had nothing to do with it, why disband? And he completely ignores her and just goes, do you have any kids, Agent Hotchner? And she like- Sir? She, like, rolls her eyes so hard. I was like, can we not just keep ignoring Emily Prentice? Or, like, what? <laughs> Why does this always happen? Happened last episode, like, ten times, too. All these stupid men. Uh, but then Evan says he made the EDF to help his son, not to kill other people's sons. And he walks away. And Hatch is like, do you think he weighs 160? And she's like, eh, 140, maybe. I don't know what that means. I guess he's not, like, thick enough. He's not be because like, they talked about it how the dad would have had physical similarities with the unsubs and the dads from this uh, from the people that got killed are very much they're big stocky dudes. I can't I mean, is does twenty pounds make that much of a difference? I mean, if you're tall, yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't know. He just he looks skinny and sickly. Well, yeah, that makes sense. Because he is. Yeah, so then Emily's like, why did he have this meeting? And Hotch is like, he wanted us to see that he was doing the right thing. But like, it doesn't matter because either way, the arsonist was definitely here. So we cut to the arsonist. He's like walking down the street, talking a bunch of shit, bums into another guy, gets in his car, and he's like, calling me a deranged coward. And then he just like screams. And then he's like driving and he sees a dude in a suit with a briefcase. And he just like gets in the back and he grabs a Molotov cocktail but it's not just like a bottle with gas in a rack. It's like 
this big jar with a lid and the wick is like all he has like prepared Molotov cocktails. Yeah. <laughs> They're intense. Throws it at the guy. Guy catches on fire. And then he's just like, ha, ah, I feel better and drives away. <laughs> <laughs> I am emotionally fulfilled now. Ha, ah, that was nice. Yeah. Anyway. So, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> In the morning, we're talking to, they're looking at the guy. He was a CPA. He was white. He was handsome. He was six feet tall. It's the unsub, even though he didn't like plan it meticulously, but you know, it was the unsub. But we know that it wasn't Evan because we know he was in the house. But we did see this gold sedan. So it was a guy at the meeting. Cool. And they say that like this CPA wasn't even on the list. He just looked like the type. So the killer is dissolving. Dissolving. Is devolving. <laughs> de-evolving. No. Devolving. <laughs> Impulsive. Throwing a tantrum, etc. The denouncement enraged him and he lashed out. Those are those adolescent tendencies. So now it's tomorrow, and Emily Prentice is in a very nice pink shirt. I like it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure this is the only episode we see it. I gotta keep my brand. <laughs> I love that you were like, I know it's tomorrow because Emily changed her shirt. Like, <laughs> Also, it's morning again, you know. But yeah, she okay. did change her yeah. shirt from white to pink. Okay. We find out that Evan has cancer. He just visited his oncologist. And they're like, that makes sense. He's packing and going to banks and his attorney because he is putting his affairs in order now they go to a kid's baseball field where evan is watching the children play baseball it's his son's team we learn apparently he like watches him play a lot but they both just like pretend he doesn't notice you know yeah and the guy's like if i live six months that's lucky and we learned that it's leukemia because of lust, because the benzene in the ground gives people cancer. And then Hodge tells us this story. When he was in high school, his father was having a bunch of affairs, and everyone knew, even his mother. And one day, Hodge followed his dad to confront him. And he saw him going to the lawyers and the doctors and the banks, and he was losing a bunch of weight. And then he died of lung cancer now in season one episode 16 the tribe awful episode awful episode sean hoshner says father hoshner died of a heart attack at age 47 so what is the truth is hosh lying here's the truth hosh had two dads and they're both dead. <laughs> Hotch's biological father died at age 47 of a heart attack, and his stepfather died of lung cancer a few years later. Well, no, wouldn't it be... Wouldn't the, wouldn't the heart attack at 47 come... Wouldn't that be the second dad's death? My When I was 15, my father was 47. That's fair. I guess I didn't, my parents didn't turn 40, like 47 until I was in college. How old are your parents now? Well, now they're 52. Oh, yeah. See, my dad just turned 65. Yeah. But my parents were also, my parents were not young parents either. They didn't have me until I was like, until they were like 28 or whatever. So like. Well, my mother had me at 31. So that makes sense. 
it's just it could i'm just saying criminal minds done fucked up criminal minds oh no criminal minds absolutely fucked up not even that far apart <laughs> literally less than a season's worth of episodes apart <laughs> i did hear though i have heard that it could have been like a lung cancer induced heart attack except the implication in season one is he died of like stress yeah because uh, sean is throwing it in aaron's face that like you work so much you've done all these things do you want to be like that and die of a heart attack at age 47? And in reality, it was apparently lung cancer. Well, also, I mean, those two, yeah, those two things do not have to be mutually exclusive. Like, stress does yeah. not help, or stress or, like, overworking does not help any medical condition you have. I mean, I can imagine, like, the stress led him to smoke a lot. And that is what caused cancer yeah, and, and gave him a heart attack. That honestly would track. Yeah, because when you have, trust me, I know, when you have breathing problems, lung problems, it messes, puts strain on your heart. Yeah. So he probably, okay, okay. You know what? We'll allow this one. The stress from working drove him to smoke, which gave him lung cancer, which contributed to his heart attack. We did it, Criminal Minds. We solved your mess. You're welcome. Are you happy, Criminal Minds? Are you happy now? <laughs> you're happy. You're welcome. Okay. This is where we get to talk about benzene, which is the leaking carcinogenic chemical. Mm -hmm. And it's also highly flammable. And it's expensive to clean up, which is why they just bury it, which is why it becomes lust. Now, most of the properties he worked in were zoned as either warehouses or restricted buildings but one of those jobs was recently resold as an elementary school and he says i can't report it because they'll come after me and he says he'll come after me and i want to leave something for my son which i assume means like he would have to waste all his money in like law lawyer fees and then have nothing yeah if he like broke his nda or something that would mean that he would go bankrupt and then yeah he wouldn't have anything for his son yeah yeah so he starts the edf which we don't know what it does so like okay and then Hotch is like, hey, you know, was there anybody angry at your meeting? He was going to be enraged by your denouncement. And the guy was like, everyone was angry. And Hotch goes, actually, you know, he probably didn't seem angry. He was probably the only calm one. And they show him all the pictures that Emily took. And he's like, that's the guy, Vincent Stiles. And so Hotch calls uh, Castro and is like, tail Evan, we're going to go find Castro. And Evan calls nope, somebody nope, in the car. Nope, You did that wrong. Hotch calls said, Castro and says, uh -huh. Tail Evan, we're going to find Vincent Stiles. There you go. And then from the car, Evan calls someone. And we don't know who. There we go. You know, sometimes it's just words are hard. I literally was like Googling what this could be what it could be a symptom of to like mess up your words so much like all the time i was editing the podcast and i called reed hosh like five times and i was like what the fuck is up and of course the first answer is brain damage and i was like wonderful but then i also read <laughs> i was like great i did actually for real get dropped on my head as a baby um so i was like great <laughs> love it but it's also a system of autism <laughs> word 
word processing problems. So I was like, ah, we're going to forget about brain damage for now. For now. Blame it on the autism and pretend like I'm not stressing about brain damage. The SWAT pull up to Vincent Stiles' house, presumably. They don't say it, but I, you know, we assume. Emily in her pink shirt, looking wonderful. The house is empty, but on the man's bed, there are pictures of a fire. It also screams grandmother's house. Does it not? It super does, but there is also a poster for the video game Doom on the walls, which yes. I do think is funny. <laughs> I think they definitely picked it because it's like a big dude standing in fire. So they were like, yeah, okay. For sure, for sure, for sure. I love it. I went, a writer saw that picture and went, how can we make this an episode? So funny. Emily even like looks at her at one point and is like, ooh. <laughs> so they also don't name what family relative he's living with. It's clear that they were like, okay, we were right about that. But they don't say like grandmother or mother or whatever. So I just thought that was funny. Just <laughs> nameless female with a grandmother's aesthetic. So, and who among us doesn't have a grandmother's aesthetic, really? Honestly, like, I'm us? sitting here holding a knitting needle. Who could say? I do cross stitch in my free time. That's very funny. Do you really? Yeah. Oh, nice. Vincent Stiles used the lust list to find companies, and then he stalked the company offices until he found an employee that, quote unquote, fit his taste. Emily says that Vincent Stiles is a pharmaceutical sales representative who has been living here since his divorce six weeks ago, which was his stressor. So it took him three weeks to stock everyone, get his gear, etc. And then he's set to killing. And then they get another call. Evan shook his tail. Where is Evan? Cut to the docks. It is orange outside in the scene. I don't know if you noticed that, but it cut. Like I was like, I'll be in Mexico. Like... <laughs> They did that one filter, yeah. So, yeah, I was like, this is this is the Mexico filter or the mid Middle East filter. We're in California. Anyway, Evan is meeting up with Vincent. And Evan's like, I'm apologizing for what I said in the meeting. I had to say it so they would get off my ass. Anyway, I think you're a genius and artist. I want to help. And I think it's supposed to be a twist, but like, obviously this guy is like a great guy. He's lying. So back at the station. They traced Evan's cell phone. He called Styles, Vincent Styles, the arsonist, right after Hotch left him. And Hotch is like, oh, man. And so they go to the office and Gideon goes to Hotch and says, you identified with him. And Hotch is like, I feel like a, when I'm home, I don't feel like a big hotshot detective. I feel like a father and a husband who is never there. And there's a ton of pressure to be good enough quick enough because at any second I'm going to have to leave again. It's a lot of pressure. So I know what Evan feels like with his time constraint. And Gideon says, okay, great. Use this. What would you do if you were Evan? And Hatcha says, I would burn him. I would burn him like he burned those people. And I, but I would do it when nobody can get hurt. And I would make sure nobody could get hurt because I would call it in first. And that's how they figure it out. But Hatcha's like, clasping his hair tears in his eyes like so emotional Aaron Hotchner you sweet sweet boy he's just like dad like he wants his full time identity to be dad but he can't do it you know he's just a sweet sweet boy Oh, so sad oh. so they go out into the precinct and 
somebody just called in a fire warning on 911, giving the address of a warehouse, but there's no fire there yet. So Garcia tells them it's a warehouse on the dock, it's being rezoned, and he says CR to ES. CR is a commercial restriction, and ES is elementary school. Then it like cuts to them at the warehouse. Here's the thing. Mm-hmm. I said that Evan is so smart. Like in one go, he gets to kill the arsonist. He gets yeah. to destroy all of the chemical in the ground that's cancerous and terrible. True, he, yeah. He gets to get back at this these companies by destroying their investment. And he he doesn't have to die of cancer slowly and painfully. Yeah, that's true. And his son doesn't have to watch him wither away and die. He got six things done on that checklist. Yeah, he really got his whole to-do list done in one fell swoop. <laughs> wow, that sounds brutal. I know. But also, yeah, no, I super get it. Also, I mean, since he was killed in a quote-unquote accident with a serial killer. Life insurance. Exactly. Like, yeah. I assume life insurance or, like, the, like, some sort of, like, settlement. Like, there's, he, he gets something else. He gets, like, a little yeah, bonus for this. Definitely. Workers' comp. For this act of bravery. Yeah, workers' comp. That's a bad joke, but it's funny. Okay. So, Vincent comes in through, like, the elevator. And Evan is already there spreading around liquid, right? And kerosene. And the guy is like, hey, oh, you're ready here? Cool. And the, and Evan says, oh, but we're missing something. And the guy's like, no, I mean, fire is fire, like whatever. And Evan says, no, we're missing the innocent family. That's why you set fires to watch families die. Isn't that right? And the guy's like, uh, hmm. And Evan is like, you're also not here for the fire. You're here to kill me. And the guy pulls out a gun and he's like, you're super right, Evan. Super dangerous to carry a gun in a fire suit, even if you're not going to shoot it off. Because of the oxygen tank? Yeah! Sorry. That really got me. I didn't even think about that. So then we go, everyone's in the cars. We're driving. We're driving to the scene. We're getting it. So then they're saying, you know, the Detective Vega is like, you can't put out a benzene fire water just spreads it around it has to burn out the only thing you can do is contain it so it doesn't spread so Gideon calls Derek and is like don't put me on speakerphone and you like know he's gonna say some shit about Hodge and I was like oh god my heart okay Vincent Stiles has the gun and he's like holding out his gun and the guy is like you don't want to shoot that off because you're gonna you're gonna set the fire off and Vincent's like, I'm wearing a suit. Like, kerosene only burns this high, and this suit can withstand that. I've got oxygen. Like, I'll, the fire will go out before I run out of oxygen. And the guy's like, no, 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 no. We're standing on a bunch of benzene, and that burns twice as hot as your kerosene. So the guy's like, oh, shit, and he puts the gun away. And then he's like, why do you even care? Like, you didn't know those people I killed. And Evan says, neither did you. Neither did you. You had no reason to kill those people, except your f- 
fucked up little serial killer brain, you know? So the fact that you're a fucked up little dude, just a yeah. fucked up guy. You're just a bad guy, actually. So then Vincent, like, pulls out his lighter and he's all like, well, here we go. We're both, the guy's like, how are you going to get out of here? And Evan's like, I'm not. And then he lights the fire. Okay, these are the bad special effects. Yeah, this one is bad. The other yeah. fire effects are really good. It's this yeah. one in particular, this one shot that I'm like, okay. They, sh- they show him like face on. He lights a match and then this just like circle grows out of the center of the screen of fire. It's bad. <laughs> um, but it gets the message across. Outside the building, we hear the big ignition. Derek stops a- the car a little ways back and Hotch is like, Derek, what are you doing? And Derek says you know, sorry, man, like, there's nothing you can do. Hotch gets out. He starts to run. Gideon runs out of his car. They stop Hotch, and Hotch is like, what are you doing? Like, he's gonna die. And Gideon's like, he is already dead. Like, there's nothing you can do right now. And Hotch is just, like, crying in the street, and there's another explosion in the building, and Hotch is just crying. And then he says, he wanted his death to mean something. And it's just like, oh, God. God damn it. Oh. Oh. God. Not good. Damn, bro. So then we see a news report that's like, the fire's contained. There's no casualties. It's just burning out now. So cool. Great. Great way of like telling us the ending of that. And then some, oh, Detective Vega's like, hey, we found this in Evan's car. It's an envelope. And Hotch looks at it. And it's like, hmm. And then he gets up. The last scene. So in this time, Hotch flies home with the team. And then he comes back later. And he goes to Evan's ex-wife's house. And gives the envelope to Liam. And the kid, the son. And Liam's like, you weren't at his funeral. And Hotch is like, I had to go be with my own family. Which is like, nice. And Hotch is just in like jeans. And like a dad sweater. Like a pullover sweater. Yeah. Yeah, and Hotch is like, yeah, my dad died too at your age. Here's my card. Uh, call me if you ever have any questions, and I'll answer them as best I can. I love Hotch's little dad sweater. And if I only could, I'd make a deal with God. And get him to swap our places. <laughs> you know? Sure. <laughs> Sorry. It felt sure. fitting. You know, it felt fitting. Okay. Hot is like, hot is like my, my bad. Sad dad. You know, I mean, like, if you if you felt it, then you felt it. And I can't fault you for that, you know? <laughs> okay. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Good episode, honestly. Good ep. Good, good episode. I think this is a great place for this episode to be, because next episode, we meet ambassador prentice we meet emily's mom yeah emily's fucking milf of a mom absolute milf (laughs) absolute (laughs) milf before we talk about emily's hot milf of a mom um i do want to also say there was Mm -hmm. one moment that i don't i don't know if my connection just cut out or if you just didn't mention it but um after gideon learns that the firefighters don't fight a benzene fire they just let it burn out he Mm -hmm. calls morgan yeah, He's driving the car with Hodge. Yeah, and he says, don't put him on speakerphone. Just listen. And I Ugh. love that moment. 
Like, yeah. in a lot of ways, it feels like, especially once Gideon leaves, it feels like Derek sort of becomes, like, the number two. Obviously, yeah. like, he becomes sort of like that that second decision maker, and even more so when he takes on a bigger leadership role later. Yeah. Like, I like this little moment where, like, Gideon is like, you can be ha- you can be trusted with this information. You can handle it. Don't put me on speaker because Hotch right now can't handle it. Like I love, I just love that moment because we've seen a lot of like Derek and Gideon this season, and that felt like a really good, really small like payoff for it. I think also, you know, Derek, you know, he started off as this like playboy who gives a fuck. I don't trust the adults attitude. And has really grown into this like emotionally intelligent team player. And I think that, you know, Gideon knows that Hotch is on the edge and he knows that Derek will be um, sincere, will be genuine, will be able to support Hotch in that moment. Yeah. And I think that that, it says a lot about Gideon's trust in Derek, but it also says a lot about how much Gideon cares about Hodge you know like also that Gideon Mm -hmm. wants somebody to be looking out for Hodge you know and in that moment it's Derek what a good episode yeah you know it's a good one sometimes an ep just hits yeah this one hits and I'm not gonna sit here and pretend like this ep doesn't hit this episode hits and dare I say slaps you may. You may say slaps. Thank you. And also, what would you say, hypothetically? This mm. is a fun new little mental exercise we're doing. Ooh. Hypothetically, on a scale of 1 to 10, what would you rate this episode? <laughs> now, this is a fun new little exercise. <laughs> this is a fun new little thing. We're just kind of trying it out to see. What's the vibe? If you had to describe the vibe on a scale yeah. of 1 to 10... What would you? What number would you say hypothetically <laughs> supports the vibe? <laughs> I'm torn between a seven and an eight. For reference, you gave the last episode Jones a seven. If that helps calibrate you to your own scale. Yeah, you know what? I'll give it a seven. You'll give this a seven. All right. I am gonna go a little bit higher. I think I'm actually gonna give this. Well, I know it's hard. This is just a really good episode. Yeah. To me. I, I really like this episode. Yeah. But I never like think about it. To me, like eight, I have to be like, oh, I'm gonna go watch that episode. So like this isn't an episode I'd be like, oh, maybe I'll just go watch. But the other thing is, if I'm looking at the other episodes that I've ranked eight this season, mm-hmm. P911, obviously Heartbreaker, mm. but also like Sex, Birth, Death, and No Way Out are my other eights this season. So, like, I think this episode is better than those. Sure. It's definitely better than Sex, Birth, Death. Okay. I'm going to give this an 8.5. Oh. Okay. I'm going to give this an 8.5. I enjoy this episode a lot, actually. Okay, yeah. Do it. I'm really vibing with this episode. (laughs) Good. This is, this is, let me say this. When I think of the arsonist episodes of Criminal Minds, this is one of the first arsonist episodes that come to mind. This is my top of mind arsonist episode for Criminal Minds. Even though there are other ones that may techno- like technically be better, this is the one that comes to mind. Right. 
So like, sure. I feel like I have to give it that little credit of like, you're my, you're my, you're my corner, you're my touchstone for arsonist <laughs> episodes. That's a good point. You know what? Fuck it. Well, <sighs> you know, because. I feel like we have to rank this both as like an arsonist episode and like a larger episode of Criminal Minds, sure, but like we get so few arsonist episodes. Yeah, you know what? Give it an eight for me. Oh, have I talked you into it? I've talked you, you up. Have buttered you up. <laughs> I'm trying to think of like given good scores, better or you know, high scores to episodes that I didn't like because of how much they gave me to talk about. Whereas I feel like there's not a ton to talk about in this episode, but I do like really like it. You know? Yeah, this just from like an us standpoint, we've managed to bang this episode out quite quite quickly compared to yeah. some of our other ones. But like this is just like a good episode. Yeah, and we also like didn't have too much negative to say about it. Which the negative takes a while. If when we talk about the negative, <laughs> that adds on a lot of time when we are recording this. This is, right now is sitting at like an hour and 40 minutes, but like it's been a positive hour and 40 minutes, you know? <laughs> it has been. It has been. No, this is good. I'll, I'll give it an eight. I'll give it an eight. It was a good episode. A good ep. Next time on Wheels Up, yes. we have a, we are getting into the end of the season. We're on 220 next. Milf alert. <sighs> milf alert, milf alert, milf alert. We need an alarm. Wee-oo, 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 milf alert. <laughs> wee-oo, wee-oo, milf alert, wee-oo. Stage five milf coming through. Gang, it's ep- season milf. two, episode 20. <laughs> season two, episode 20, Honor Among Thieves. We get to meet the best, the one, the only, Ambassador Prentice. And the Ambassador Prentice's only appearance. <laughs> the one, the only, the incomparable appearance of Ambassador Prentice. <laughs> incomparable because there's nothing to compare it to. <laughs> exactly. Hey, quick question. Did they say ashes and dust in this episode? I don't think so, Bestie. I don't think they did. Nah. Damn. And no wheels up either. We really, we hit a peak. They flew all the way across the country and did not say wheels up once. They weren't Hello? even on a plane. They just teleported. Bloop, 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 bloop. Damn. Next time, you know. Yeah. You know. MILF coming up. <laughs> you can find us on... <laughs> you can find us on any social media, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, at wheelsuppod. Uh... You can also, we never say this, but like you can leave us voice memos on anchor.fm slash wheels up pod. Or Someone if you it. want to like personally email us and like tell oh, yeah. us we're fucking dumb, yes. you can do so at wheels up at brightcrownmedia.com. Do it. My darling little Jaybird. That's me. Do you have an ending quote for me? I do. As Detective Castro says, this scumbag has issues. We get it. She was so funny and so real for that too. My new headcanon is that she's like.